everyone, welcome back to another episode of Don't Be So Dramatic. My name is Rachel and this is the podcast where I talk to different people in the entertainment industry to discover what their job involves and how they got there. For this week's episode, I have with me Ben O'Toole. Ben is an Australian actor who has worked on projects such as Love Child, Hacksaw Ridge, Bloody Hell, Halifax Retribution, and most recently, the TV series Barons. Ben also starred in the upcoming Stan series Court, which is hopefully coming out sometime in 2023. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're not following us on Instagram, um, give us a follow. The links are down below. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of 2023. And without further ado, let's jump in. Ben, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How That's are you? Good. I'm good. I'm excited for a new year. Yeah. Even though it's February, so mm-hmm. I don't know if we can continue to say that. No, I think so. I think so. I think this Christmas period was kind of one of the most hectic because yeah. it's the first time we haven't been forced to stay indoors mm-hmm. and we had really good weather. I think we're all still recovering from uh, the Christmas break. So, yeah, mm-hmm. Feb, you know, February's like, you know, Tuesday's the new Monday. I think Feb's yeah, the new Jan. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I feel like this Christmas I was kind of like I don't want to do as much because, you know, there's just been so much hecticness over the last couple of years that I just am like I just can't yeah. keep up with the persona that I was putting out prior to. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Uh, I actually did get swept up in a lot of the activities this mm-hmm. silly season. Well, actually, I was lucky. I got COVID right, uh, like, middle of December, which kind of took me out of a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. I know. In hindsight, it was a blessing. (laughs) There are a lot of friends that were like, it's a good thing you weren't there. Because it would have gotten out of hand. Not so much that. It's just that people were talking about their hangovers and, uh, you know, I'm kind of glad I... I dodged a few bullets. Yeah, you were just in bed. But I guess you were still sick, so it's not like you were feeling the best anyway. No, sort of. I mean, COVID, it doesn't really – I've had it twice now and it didn't mm-hmm. really do anything. I think the first time I, I woke up one morning with like some body aches mm-hmm. but then some Nurofen and Panadol kind of got rid of that. Yeah. And then otherwise I was just – I had to stay indoors. I didn't really yeah. struggle. Well, I haven't had it yet, so I'm still on this massive ego trip of like I'm indestructible. Yeah, well, it could be. You could be. You could be patient zero for the full cure. You know. I could be. I could be. Yeah. And that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Um, what are you going to do with it? I, d- I don't think I'm going to take it on. I'm just no, don't. Like, yeah. Sorry, guys. Just don't let anybody know. Yeah. No. You can edit this bit out so nobody can find <laughs> you, and then uh, and then you're safe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I'm just going to keep to myself. That's do about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> COVID aside, yeah. you are an actor. Um, so we start off the podcast asking essentially where your interest in the entertainment industry first started out. Uh, I wanted to become an actor um, from the age of about 12. Uh, I was, it was watching a movie. My dad's favorite movie at that time was a film uh, called The Patriot with Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. And there's this really cool scene in it. As like as wanky as this story sounds, it is true. There's this uh, scene in it where Heath Ledger's been taken by the British 
and Mel's got a, you know, it, one of his other children has just been, you know, shot dead. Are you, do you know the movie? I haven't. Uh, it's one of those movies where you're like, oh, I've seen that. Have I? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's as good as, but, it, but I don't know if it's a really incredible film, but mm-hmm. it's like, because it's that part of my, I think it's amazing. Um, anyway, there's this scene and he ends up, you know, he, he, he kind of with his other younger children, these mm. like 10, 11, uh, 10, 11 year old boys ends up like shooting and killing the entire English platoon, I suppose, to save um, Heath. And there's one getting away and Mel has a tomahawk and throws it and it hits this guy in the back. And then he chases after him and like everybody's dead. Everything's like the fight's over. <laughs> and Mel, you know, sort of pulls the hatchet, the, the tomahawk out of his back and then just starts like repeatedly like screaming and slamming and then he kind of gets covered in blood. And he's like a deeply religious man in the film, mm-hmm. as they were back then. And you see in this moment he's kind of covered in blood and you see him sort of, and you see his family looking at him like what, you know, like fucking hell. Mm-hmm. And then he's looking up to, you see him kind of look up to the heavens and he, you can see on his face that he's kind of asking for forgiveness because he's come, he's become the monster he was trying to kill. Um, and he's, you know, he's just taken somebody else's son, somebody else's father, um, somebody's husband, you know, he's, he's become as bad as the people, you know, that, that took his son from him. And, and you see him realise that. And it was this cool, I, I was, you know, quite young, but kind of, you know, there's that 12-year-old in me, you know, young 12-year-old boy going like, yeah, fucking get him. You know, absolutely, <laughs> you know, that thing is like, yeah. yeah, he killed your son, get rid of him. Yeah. And then seeing that remorse on his face and that realisation that he's no different from the people that took his son, it was kind of this weird moment where I was like, oh, whoa. And I think ever since then I've kind of, if I could ever, if I could ever give that to somebody, like, a, a you know, the, the, the duality mm. of humanity. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, if I could give somebody what I was given, that's a life lived. Mm. That's a very complex thing for a 12-year-old to be I think it's taken time. I knew I wanted to do it and I think as time's gone on, it's I've I've unpacked it more and more. Um but yeah, and then, you know, it was sort of in our you know, we I grew up watching movies and and they were always kind of the uh heroes and example, mm. you know, it's like Russell Crowe in The Gladiator and all these kind of cool, you know, I don't know, it just sort of it really appealed to me this idea of storytelling. Um, and and moving people, I guess, uh, you know, helping them forget about their potentially crummy lives for an hour or two. That sounds awful. Not not that everybody's life is crummy, <laughs> but you know what I mean. You know, it's an escape. No, I do know what you mean. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know, if you can contribute, because it is entertainment, and uh, you know, life can be pretty heavy. And I think it's nice. Yeah, yeah. And I think like what you're saying is, it's kind of like it's you know, with Gladiator. Obviously, that was, it's kind of like, I guess, a history movie, kind of. Mm. But it's very, uh, like, you know, we, we don't know what it's like to be a gladiator. So it's like that kind of dream thing of like knights and fighting with swords and all yeah. that sort of stuff. It does take you away from what the reality is of like, that. that's not our reality. Similarly, and I don't know, can we talk about Boy Swallows Universe? Like yeah. just in terms of the story of you like being in it. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because yeah. we were talking about before like with that project as well and the story, it's very childlike even mm. though it's got really heavy content in it. And yeah. like that kind of seems similar to what you're talking about is that that storytelling, that kind of childlike mm. world that is created 
in movies and theatre and TV shows and that sort of thing is... Mm. Is that kind of similar to what you were saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think it's kind of something really that was really refreshing about the book in that particular instance is that, you know, as you're reading it, it, it is whimsical and fantastical, this, you know, this child's account of growing up kind of lower socioeconomic mm. in Dara. I mean, I'm from Brizzy originally, so, uh, yeah. you know, it's kind of cool talking to Trent about going to some of these places and yeah. everything. and. Um, but, you know, sort of what is, what is, uh, what would typically be, to- you know, like the lens you would typically view that with is very different to, to that of a 13 year old child that mm-hmm. doesn't know any better. And, yeah. you know, Lyle Orlick, um, that Travis Fimmel plays is Eli Bell's hero, you know, and, and he's painted in that light, but they don't modify who he is or what it is that he does. Mm. Um, you just see him the way Eli sees him, which is this you know, great knight in shining armour kind of, you know, kind of Eli's hero. But he's a heroin dealer, mm. you know, and uh, and a, an ex-heroin abuser. And, you know, I mean, the checklist of being a great guy is kind of pretty empty. Yeah. But um, but you are drawn to him and you love him because you see it through that way. And I think, I think it's just a really interesting way of kind of looking at something else. And I, I think it really pulls at you as well, like, at the innocence of somebody, like a child, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe this is the wrong thing to say, but, you know, my heart breaks a little bit because you go, you know, I, I want to know what this kid would, I want to know how this kid would see mm. a nicer environment to grow mm. up in. Or m- maybe not nice is the right word, but, you know, something a bit more suitable for a child. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's semi-autobiographical and Trent's such an amazing dude mm. and he's so cool. And and then, you know, when you meet the guys after, you know, after reading the book and, you know, reading the scripts and everything as well, you're like, this makes a lot of sense. This guy is like, this guy is glass half full. He's, you know, an investigative. This is such a difficult word to say. Investigative. investigative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to come up with another word for that. It needs to just be like <laughs> An invo. investigator of. Yeah, there's an invo journalist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're starting that. So he's an invo journalist. You know, he went through that, you know, kind of, you know, um, was working at the Courier Mail and all that sort of stuff, which is really cool. And you can see it's just his curiosity for life and all things. And, and you know, this kid that has no judgment, um, it's kind of amazing. Then you meet the guy and you're like, oh, wow, this is cool. Like, mm. you know, like what, an upbringing that could break a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of, you know, like those cycles of abuse and everything, they're so cyclical. And then, you know, it takes a pretty extraordinary person to break it. And, um, yeah. Definitely. It's so cool. I think it also, it makes for really interesting content because it's almost like that person is using the artistic expression of like writing a book or writing a script or something to process it and in turn, as you say, kind of break the cycle of like, no, I'm not like I've experienced this, but I can see the purpose that it has had in my life and I'm going to move forward and Mm. maybe help one person who relates to this story or maybe give another person a window into what it is like to have a life like this and somehow change them. I think that that is always really powerful when people are using their art in that way to process these things yeah. in, it, in a healthy way. Yeah. You know, because sometimes it can be unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah, you can go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, she, she broke my heart, so I'm going to write a story about me just getting back at her. And you're and like, she's mm. a bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Don't tell that story. <laughs> <laughs> to be continued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was chapter two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, then when, like, you kind of got really into movies as a kid, um, was it kind of a no-brainer then to after school be like drama schools where I'm going? Like that's my trajectory. Uh, I, it's what I wanted to do. My so in high school, uh, my uh, high school drama teacher Elizabeth Falconer. She, um, I'd be doing a little looking into it. You know, kind of where some of the Australians, you know, like your Kate Blanchett's and your Mel Gibson's, and I've been doing you know a little bit of homework in that regard. And they'd all gone to this place called NIDA, and I was like. Man, this like, you know, the Hogwarts kind of, kind of <laughs> kind school, you know, of. it's like, wow, you know, people go in just normal people with, you know, just normal goals and then they come out movie stars and, and life changes for other people. And I'm like, what is this fantastic place? Turns out my my drama teacher had actually gone oh. to NIDA. And so I remember talking to her about it and she was like, go for it, you know. And that was a big thing coming from her for me at that age um, because up until then it was just, you know, it was it was an idea, you know, and all the – all your assessment you do at school, like your parents, you know, they've, they've got the attitude of like you can do whatever you want if you <laughs> set your heart to it. Mm-hmm. You know, but the reality is are you capable or aren't you? And yeah. so having somebody that was like you should go for it, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll take that a bit seriously. However, I also, you know, I, I think um, well, I don't come from an acting background at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it was a bit left of centre for my folks to they supported it, but the idea was like, let's just, you know, get something, let's get a backup plan going first yeah. so then you can pursue it. And I was like, okay, you know, there's method to that. You know, I, I get that. So I went into, um, I started doing drama teaching, uh, secondary mm. secondary school <laughs> drama teaching in English. And I got about two, way, two, I got two years through it and I was like pulling my hair out. I had this 3,000 word assignment due and I'm like, oh. You know, it just wasn't for me. I was just no, like, oh, I come on, I want to be that. doing it, you know. Mm. And so I was like, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'm going to audition for the schools, you know, Whopper. I went for Whopper, NIDA and VCA. And uh, I was like, I'll, I'll go for them. And, you know, paid my, you know, you, you have to, back then, I don't know if you still have to, but back then you had to pay to audition. I think that's still a thing. It's still a thing. Yeah. What a scam, by the way. <laughs> Seriously. You want us to look at you? You can give us 60 bucks. It's like. <laughs> Far out, man. Get serious. Um, it's like $80 now. $80. $80, Liz $80 just now. said. Well, I mean, what is it? To, uh, oh, anyway. my God. <laughs> and then you see them all at the pub afterwards and you're like, I wonder where the fuck that $80 went. Like, yeah, yeah well, next round's on me, is it? I better get into this school. Can't afford to keep auditioning. I'm 19. Fucking hell. 80 bucks is the most amount of money I've ever had. So, um Anyway, so auditioned and then I I kind of, I did that, I did that without telling mum and dad and then told them that I had these auditions coming up. And they were like, oh, okay. And then auditioned and I got into WAPA. And of course, of course, of course I got into the one that was on the other side of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was my first time out of home and and it was pretty cool. It was, it was really cool. It, you know, my folks got on board after that and um, it was... Not that they ever weren't on board, but you know that it became a reality. The dream mm. became a was started becoming a reality, and yeah, um, yeah it was that was a hell of a time. Mm. I can, I mean, I can definitely relate because my parents aren't in the industry, and I guess it is hard for parents to, 
you know, see, before you start putting in the effort and being like, no, I really want to do this thing, like, you know, saying, I want to be an actor. They're like, okay, Mm. well, like, you know, it's just that knee-jerk reaction of just not wanting the person that you love to fall. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, you know, they also, you know, I mean, they were changing our diapers and everything and, you know, even when we were six and we're like, I want to be an elephant when I grow up. You know, there's all these things where they're <laughs> like, you know, but like you say, you know, I mean, they 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 do, honestly, I had this chat with my dad a while ago and I'm like, it must be hard to be a parent to an adult. Mm. You know, it's like, it, mm-hmm. it must be like, I don't know how you do, I mean, I don't, I don't have any kids myself and I just, I try to get my head around that. Like, mm. how do you tell an adult, you know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. got to be a time, I don't, I don't think it's easy for anybody and I think, you know what gets misinterpreted as a lack of support is actually just concern, and it's like mm. I don't want to. I don't want you to get hurt. Yeah. Um. I want to protect you from from the pain that, especially in an industry like this one. I mean, there are more misses than hits, and mm-hmm. uh, the odds of you succeeding are really low. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think that's like like what you say. That's that's when it gets to that point where it's like once they see that failure or sorry quitting isn't an option or mm. walking away from it isn't an option, then um, then I think it changes. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I sympathise with them. I mean, if, 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 I had a, if I had a child and they were like, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be an astrophysicist, I'd be like, fuck. <laughs> what, you don't want to be an actor? Seriously? Look, at, come on, the acting thing's easy, man. Do that. You're like, I've got so many contacts I know, in the it's industry. like, hey, nepotism's <laughs> a thing. I'll just give you a job, you know. It'll happen. Oh, my God. I love you know? that people get upset about the Nepo baby thing and I'm like, but if it were you, you would take advantage of it. And so it's in every not? field and I think as it well. It is in every field, isn't it? And the, I think I think the industry is a little more intelligent than people give it credit for, mm-hmm. you know. They're not just like, you know, they're not just waiting for some famous kid's son or daughter yeah. or, you know, you know, they're not. They're not. It's like some people might get their opportunity that way, but whether they capitalize upon it or not, I think the people that stay in the industry deserve to be there, yeah. regardless of who their parents were, yeah. regardless of how they got there. I think that's always been a big thing for me too is I'm like, I don't really care how people earned a seat at the table. Yeah. I don't care what they did. But, you know, it's very easy to tell whether people belong there or not. Yeah, and, definitely. And, uh, you know, yeah. I think it also like it really speaks to the person who's kind of saying that their limiting belief of like, well, like I'm not succeeding because you have parents who have succeeded and that's why you're succeeding and that's why I'm not in your position. It's like it like it doesn't, circumstances don't matter. No. Nah. Just like concentrate on yourself, stay in your own lane, don't mm. worry about what other people are doing. 100%. You know, and it's those people who are worried about how someone got to where they are and like it's unfair. It's like, Yeah, well, this idea of fair. This idea of fair I find so mind-boggling. I mean, it was, I think Jerry Seinfeld says it um, and somebody asked him, they were like, do you think, do you think, I think, you know, it was typically about comedy Mm. um, and they were like, do you think it should be a little more fair than it is? And he was like, absolutely not. Why should it be? Mm. Why should it be fair? And not that I agree with that sentiment entirely, you know, there, there are, there's room for playing fields to be a little more equalised. But I think the idea of, you know, that it, it's, I mean, it was never fair. Mm. Like I knew growing up, I mean, your parents, everybody tells you, it's like, you want to be an actor? I mean, the look on everybody's face tells you how unfair our game is. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. like, and you think about like engineers that come out of uni degrees and if they went through five job interviews and didn't get one of them, I guarantee they'd be scratching the back of their head going, fuck, it's time to think of a new career. Yeah. 
that's a Monday for us. Mm. All we hear is no. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's not fair. It was never fair. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry. It just the word fair struck me about that. <laughs> that's how podcasting works is that you can just jump in just and talk. go off on your tangent. We're just talking. Do you know what? I like this. I'm getting pretty comfortable. <laughs> it's not, it's I got a little like- too comfortable then. I just hit the mic. <laughs> It's not like an ABC interview or something where you're like, yes, an onset was great. Yeah. And uh, thank you, so-and-so, for asking such a great question. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, we talk about the political discourse over in anywhere. Who yeah, knows? Just, you know, and you're like, oh, oh I didn't read about that. <laughs> like, yes, well, what do you think about Yeah, you go first and then I'll, um, I'll agree and we'll move on. How about mm, that? <laughs> mm, mm. You have such great points. So yeah. I'd love to hear your opinion first. Yeah, yeah. You basically said everything I was going to say. So what's the next question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not like that at all. Yeah, no. No, Good. no. I like it. <laughs> so coming out of Whopper then, um, obviously like, I think we all know that NIDA, WAPA, VCA are really good springboards for actors. Mm. And as you say, like that's kind of why you wanted to go to one of these schools in the first place is seeing actors who are successful, having gone to them and being like, great. You mm. know, I think it, it teaches a lot of more industry stuff to you as well, which is, I, well, I haven't gone to any of them, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? I, I do actually agree with all those points. Um, <laughs> what's the next question? <laughs> but so um, then you booked, how far was it, how how far along in years was it to when you booked Love Child? Because that's a great TV show to have booked kind of after drama school and yeah. then have like consistent work. Yeah, that was, uh, that was super cool. So that was probably, uh, I'd done a, I think I'd been one year out. Wow, so okay. I'd, one year out, but my my agent, so like you said, like what I loved about drama school is it it uh, having not come from any kind of theatrical or, or acting kind of background whatsoever, there was a lot of technique mm. taught, like, you know, things like, um, you know, when you are on camera, what, what's, what, what looks more intimidating than something else, you know, which eye to look at, all that sort of stuff, yeah. you know, like there's things about stillness, but then also when you're up on stage, you know, stillness and body language and, you know, breathing and breath work and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I found that really fascinating because just technical aspects completely change, like perceptions, everything. So, you know, even if somebody just changed the rate of their breath and they didn't do anything internally, mm. but your reading of what was going on for that character was completely different. And mm. I, I saw that, I thought that was really interesting. So it kind of the tool bag grew, you know? Yeah. Um. And uh, so, but I did always know that it was a means to an ends, really. It was like that, that I wanted to do what those people were doing mm-hmm. um, and this is what they'd done. These were the steps they'd taken. So I think that also, because a lot of people had, you know, a lot of people do have really difficult times at drama school and, you know, everybody's experience is different, unique, but I really enjoyed mine because I, I think it was my education, mm. you know, I could take what I liked and discard what I didn't necessarily agree with or what I didn't find very helpful. Yeah, which was probably interesting after having studied drama and English teaching <laughs> and doing those written assignments, which I do not Ugh. vibe with either. So I can completely agree when yeah. you're like 3,000 word assignment. I'm like, no. What the hell? How many pages is that? Mm-hmm. Like, No, we can do the thing, but I'm not going to write it down. Yeah, I don't. I, and you know, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, it's such a difficult thing to talk about as well mm. because, I, you know, I think it's it's um, Ray Fiennes as well talks about, you know, I mean, he says that his process or the way he approaches every character is different specific to the job. And I think it's such a cool answer because 
I think it is for the majority of people. I mean, mm. how do you how do you put into a paragraph the way you approach a character? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have a, there's, I wouldn't even know where to start. Mm. Um, it's just it's so case specific. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Sorry. Um, <laughs> there you go. But um, <laughs> love child. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So love child. So my agent when I when I left, I signed uh, with um, my agents that I'm still with here in Australia, who I love, and they uh, they were very strategic. They had a really great plan, and it was whilst the auditions weren't coming in thick and fast. They had great relationships with the casting agents. Mm-hmm. Of course, this was in the dark ages when actors would still go into a room for a casting. Um, so, you know, this was way back then. But um, I would, I was actually employed as the reader a lot of the time. Yeah, okay. Which was a really cool thing because it would, you know, you're there reading, playing all these different characters for all these different people coming in. Mm-hmm. And it was really educational for me because you'd see – like quite a few of these big name Australian actors coming in all going for the one role. Mm. And it kind of made the losses, I mean, they're not even losses, but, you know, when you'd miss out at such a young age, um, it made them much more stomachable because I'm like, God, if Guyton Grantley, you know, if, if they're saying no to him, you know, it's like it's yeah. not a big deal that they say no to me. Like, you know, even really successful people in this industry yeah. are getting knocked back. And yeah. that was a cool headspace to be in because I was like, Okay, so this is it. This is the game. Mm. You win some, you lose some, you know. Yeah. Um, and then it was actually through that that uh, we were. I was casting house husbands with mm-hmm. that. So Gotten's a bad example actually because Gotten got the role. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, um, I think Toby Schmidt's actually was you know I'd come in. That was kind of cool mm. to meet him as well. I was kind of a bit like, God, all these, all these actors you know that I admire. <laughs> um, you know, here they come, um, and. Uh, but, yeah, so it was do that and that was Playmaker uh, was yeah. House Husbands and then through doing all that reading with them and then coming in and auditioning, I just finished a play over in Perth, came back, auditioned the following day and um, and they offered it to me. And I think, I don't know if I did the best audition but I think just the sheer amount of time I'd spent with the producers yeah. and the directors getting the, um, setting up House Husbands, it felt like a bit of a, a reward. Yeah, yeah, and I mean like it. Even if you didn't do the best audition on the day, it sounds like they already know you anyways. And so they're like, we know what you're capable of. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're like, oh, you forgot one line today. Oh, no. well, kind of thing. I agree. And I, I think that's kind of the biggest thing with casting. I, I don't want to speak for casting agents, but I think I think it is becoming reliable. You know, it's, it's them trusting you um, mm. and having faith. And I think that's just what experience gives them your experience yeah. gives them they're like well you've done this multiple times you'll probably be you'll be okay in this situation mm. obviously they need to know that you're right for it but when you're at callback phases i think everybody knows you can do the job it's just yeah who do they want to spend the next three to four months with you yeah know? and who looks good with who on screen exactly you know who has you know some people some some incredible actors have the worst chemistry with each other mm-hmm. and it makes no sense yeah um because they're actually such incredible people mm. but yeah and then, and then otherwise, you know, two people can absolutely hate each other and, yeah. and it's magnetic, and you know, you're just like, Ooh. oh my God, <laughs> you know. It's true. It's yeah. very true. I think in like the audition process as well, it's really important. Like obviously you're trying to get the casting director and the producers and the director of a project to see that they can trust you, but it's also a really great opportunity to see if you trust them. If how they're treating you, like you mm. go, oh, do I want to work with these people? And of course, as actors, we go, 
oh, I'll just roll over and take it because I want the job. And of course we need to do that sometimes. But yeah. I think it's like as you kind of go on and, you know, um, get more jobs and become more specific with which ones that you want to do, I think it is such a good opportunity to be like, okay, how do I feel about this casting director? Do I, like, do I want to work with this producer? Do mm. I want to work with this director? And that's what an audition can be as well is learning about those people rather than, you know, forcefully going, Trust me, yeah, I yeah, can yeah. do it, you know. Yeah, please like me. I'll do anything. Yeah. I, I, I agree. It, it does get to a point where you go like, you know, there is there are certain things and it's like uh, th- the only way I'm doing this project is if we do it like this. As pig-headed as that sounds or mm. as stubborn as that can sound, it, it is also a long, it's a lot of your life you give to some of this stuff, you know, and especially, you know, again, depending upon the role, if, you know, if you've got to starve yourself to sort of maintain a certain weight or, or you know, you've got to put on weight or, or you know, in particular, I've done, I did this job with this girl once and, you know, they, it, she had to get this horrific haircut and, you know, for <laughs> five months she's walking around with this horrific haircut. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, you're also applying for other jobs at that time yeah. and people are like, the fuck's with the haircut? You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, oh, I'm doing another job. And you're like, bet you are. Do you yeah. know, you're like, yeah, bro, that's convenient. <laughs> Um, you know, what is it? The Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's like, fuck off. Um, but, it, you know, so it is, I think, but I think it is as well, and it's really empowering what you talk about too. It is about mm. finding opportunities to take a little bit of power back because it's it's whatever's going to make you feel most comfortable in the room Yeah, because that's when you do your best work. Yeah. Um, and putting people up on too much of a pedestal, um, mm. you know, and, and not realising, like you say, that it's, it is a, it, you know, it's a two-way street. It's a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, can be a little, can be a little hairy if you don't realize that. Yeah, I think it takes time as well to kind of get into that groove mentality because when you first start out, it's all well and good to be like they're just people, treat them like people. That's fine. <laughs> but then you go in, and it's like dating as well. When you first start dating, you're like, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> this person's on a pedestal. Yeah. But it's just experience, and it just takes time. And you know, people are on that journey at different points in their mm. life. It's you know, and and it's so true as well. Like you know, you you end up. Um, like Nikki Barrett is a casting director that's cast me in a lot of stuff and we have a great relationship. So I love going in to see her and do things and even if it's just to catch up with her mm. to do an audition, you know, and it and it's it's so cool because, one, you know, all of that, it's like doing an audition with your mates, yeah. which is, again, just experience and just kind of, you know, sticking it out, I suppose. You know, yeah. it's, you know, dating's always awkward at the start. <laughs> but, you know, if it's meant to be, it um, it gets easier. Yeah, if it's meant to be, there's literally nothing you can do to stop it being, essentially. Exactly. Which is kind of like, <laughs> yep, drink your coffee. It wasn't on camera. It wasn't on camera, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> we could have gotten around that if you didn't make such a big I know, about I know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's turn my camera off for a minute, please. <laughs> No, we told Ben not to drink coffee whilst he was talking um, and so he just took the opportunity to very comically drink it just mm. then as I was talking. As you so. were talking, but then I interrupted. <laughs> that's that's totally fine. I did it to myself. That's so. all good. Mm. Um, well, good good moment to switch lanes into talking about Barons, which came out last year. So yep. Barons is a TV show on ABC iView mm-hmm. um, about... Uh, essentially two friends who start um, the two surf brands. Mm. Um, what's really interesting, well, what I really enjoyed about the series 
is that it's very Australian. Mm. And I think that we can use that negatively sometimes. I think people can say about projects, oh, it's just like it looks Australian and you're like, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. (laughs) But like what I really enjoyed about this and what I didn't realise would it would kind of bring out of me is that like it really reminds me of my childhood because I grew up down the coast. I, like right. I grew up with guys who are like a younger version of what you guys are playing in that. Like, yeah, and cool. when you in the first episode, when you do that scene where you walk into the bar with no shoes on, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, I completely forgot that's what my life used to be of walking into. Um, what is now Coles, but used to be called Bilo down where I used to live. No way. And like I'd be just in bare feet. And so when I moved to Sydney, I was like, oh, that's disgusting. That yeah. Well, walk around in bare feet. Very <laughs> different. Very different walking around in uh, bare feet in Sydney. Yeah. But I wonder, uh, well, first off, what was the process of um, auditioning for that project, finding out about that project, what drew you to it? And then also I want to talk about um, learning to surf for that project. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of people want to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so how much did you fail when you were oh, like, no, I'm kidding. Oh, still failing actually. <laughs> I was bitten by the bug though. Yeah. It is, it's a, it's honestly, it is such a, you know, at risk of sounding like a wanker, there is something like really spiritual about, you know, you're just at, and, and they all talk, a lot of surfers talk about like you know the chasing the perfect wave, mm. and there is it's how people stay out there for so long because it's just yeah. no the, there's a better one coming you know yeah. this next set's going to be better and yeah um, definitely and it is you just you lose track of time and and I mean you know even failing's fun because I mean it's not like learning how to skateboard you know where you could crack your head open I mean you can do that you surfing, definitely but can <laughs> yeah it, that, that can definitely happen but um, I don't know. There's like a reckless abandon. Surfing's always been seen as cool, I think. It is. Yeah, you know? Yeah. It's it um it's never been seen as like thuggish or, you know, like I remember when I was young growing up, you know, we'd go to these caravan parks and there'd be the skate park that was mm-hmm. a part of it. And there was like at nighttime, there was something a bit mm, I've yeah. never you know, there's there's never been intimidation around surfies. Um mm. but um but to to answer your question uh, about the casting process, sorry. The um I was doing uh, Halifax uh, mm-hmm. Retribution and I'd just come back from Melbourne and uh, this project had showed up. Um, and so I went in to meet with the producers and the writer and uh, we had a quick chat and this was 2019. Mm. So the bushfires, were, they were just about to start. Yeah. And so we started having a chat about that and because I'm I, I'm not a surfer, you know, I didn't grow up surfing and blah, blah, blah and and this story is quite close to a couple of the boys' hearts, a couple of the producers' hearts whose um, basically idea it was. Mm. And the story is like a dramatisation of the Rip Curl and Quicksilver story, mm-hmm. um, how the first pair of Quicksilver board shorts was made in the Rip Curl factory and it was inspired by those events and ultimately, you know, because it's a TV show, you've got to inject a bit of drama and so yeah. there's this feud. But the Rip Curl and Quicksilver guys, it wasn't anything like that for mm. them in reality. But um, – Fascinating story, uh, you know the way these sort of the way the uh, that that's kind of what drew me to it is this, it was kind of really fascinating that what these guys were doing, which was just to prevent them from getting real jobs, so they could just <laughs> keep surfing. Yeah, ended up becoming like multi million dollar huge international companies. You mm. know, um, and I found that really interesting that the whole you know 
you know, like Snapper, for example, was the, you know, he was the OG soul surfer, you know. He was mm-hmm. just, you know, a bit of, I mean, he's a complicated cat. But, you know, the image he projected was that he was, you know, he, he was the soul surfer. He would always be a longboard rider, you know, and everything. And it was just all about smoking weed and just having a good time and just, you know, surfing with your mates, you know. It was just kind of living life living life the way you would want to live it and that's mm-hmm. how he wanted to live it and providing opportunities for people to live the same way. And seeing, watching his journey, even just in the first series, but then also for what, you know, what would potentially happen in others is, you know, chipping away at this, like with this competitive streak of just becoming what he hated, you know, it's like yeah. it was to avoid working for the man mm-hmm. and then he's become the man, mm-hmm. you know, in that like and he's he's the guy firing people and he's the guy, you know, kind of looking at, report sheet saying, you know, why these numbers, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. just that transformation I thought was really interesting and something uh, I don't, I don't know if we'll get to explore it, but that kind of, and also the character, the character in and of himself um, was really fascinating, I think, because he's the leader of the group and he provides for everybody. and, And there's this weird like duality to him which is that, you know, the perception of him is this chill, relaxed, you know, nothing really matters. But nothing really matters provided everybody's doing what he wants. Mm. And once somebody steps out of line, you see a different side to him that he yeah. wouldn't necessarily want other people to see and, mm-hmm. and that would go against the image he projects of himself. And and I, I found that really, really fascinating because it is, it is how the majority of, i got to say, like, young men walk through the world as well as the way they want to be seen versus, you know, there's a, there's another side to everybody. Yeah, definitely. And uh, and I, I just, yeah, I just found that really fascinating. But um, but I did have to go through the ringer to get that one because I am not a surfer and a lot yeah. of the guys, you know, I had to sort of convince the guys that I could do it. And then, you know, when the hair and makeup was added and, you know, they chucked me on a board, they were like, Okay, this is cool. This works. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's what I was curious about is like when when you look at you on screen, it doesn't look like you. And, you <laughs> know, like I think sometimes we think, oh, when like actors go through lots of hair and makeup to make them not look like who they actually are, it's always like, you know, really famous actors who they want mm. the name for the role. So it's interesting to me that this is a great example of mm. like, you know, obviously you are right for the role and they're willing to teach you how to surf or like let you go and learn how to surf for mm. it and, you know, put all the hair and makeup on you to make you look like the character that they're viewing because mm. they wanted you. And that's just, I think that's a really interesting thing. It, it was it was super cool because it's also, the, it was the first project I'd done where so much of the glory goes to the individual, mm. but it, you know, it was it was the hair and makeup, and it was Jaker yeah. and Terry, you know, the, the the girls in hair and makeup that kind of built that look and created it and everything, and and um and it it's just it just does so much for mm. you know, and I mean, it's such a visual medium, yeah. And it was the first time as well people had had the vision to change my look, you know, the trust of like, because yeah. normally normally my story had been. I get cast and they're like, just that. And you're like. Just powder it a little bit. Yeah, they're just like, (laughs) wow, mind-blowing. They're like, maybe a little trim. And you're like, incredible stuff here. My God. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's like, wow, hey, this season here and then, uh, you know, next you'll be over working on it, you know. (laughs) No. Um, So it it was kind of really cool to have that vision for them to sort of be able to see beyond 
me to kind of, it just felt like such a team effort too. Yeah. Um, and for me as well, like so much of the hair and makeup played so much into the character's performance. Mm. You know, I mean, he's such a show, he's such a showman. Mm. Um, and all of this, you know, like with the big mo and the and the um the mullet and the, it just did so much for me moving forward. Like, yeah. you know, once I saw him, I was like, I know who this guy is now. Like it's yeah. it's in my DNA. I know who this dude is. Mm. And without those elements, I think it'd just be me trying to fill that gap. And you know, there'd be people yeah. like, nah. Do you know what I mean? I yeah, think no, I, I would have watched it and I would have been like, do you know what? I don't buy it. Yeah. I don't buy it. What's missing? Yeah. Um, I guess it's hard because like on set, obviously, like you, you feel like you embody the character with those elements. And it's like, how do we get that in an audition space, especially with self-taping? Mm. Like are you going to stick on a moustache and be like, this is what I look like with a moustache? <laughs> like it's it's hard not to play into those things in the audition room when I don't think that you need to because mm. that kind of like the hair and makeup and all that stuff kind of come after. So all you can offer in an audition uh, space is what this is, you know, here and now. And so it's hard to not try and mm. move into that, oh, I'll, yeah. I'll have a moustache for the audition so that they can see yeah. and, you know, that sort of thing. It's hard not to get that in your head a little bit. It, I, I agree. It's, um, it is tough because, uh, you know, I know when I, was, when I was doing Barons and when we were getting towards the end, I was auditioning for other projects. Mm. And, um, <laughs> man, oh, man, I was doing some period pieces looking like Snapper and I'm like... <laughs> I just pray people can look beyond what's going on, you know, and, and you've just got to trust it. And it's, it's yeah. that same thing of like, you know, I auditioned for a cop the other day and my hair's long like this and I'm like, mm. I, I guess like you say, you know, you've just got to, you know, you've, you've just got to trust that they have the vision and sometimes they do and and maybe sometimes they don't either, yeah. which is which is scary. But like I, I helped a friend do an audition the other day Um and his hair was a bit longer and, and he went to an army surplus store. It was for a soldier. Mm. And he went to an army surplus store and bought like, you know, the, the proper green um, yeah. fatigues. Yeah. Not fatigue, sorry, but just like the T-shirt, under, the undershirt. Yeah. And uh, like a cap. Yeah. And I, as soon as I saw him, I was like, fucking hell, this is going to be one of those auditions where, you know, he's gone out and bought all the shit. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. fire out, man. You know, it's too much. Yeah. You, you know, because my experience as well is whenever I've been given a hat on set or anything, they're like, lose the hat because it's too much of a pain in the ass to light. Yeah. And, every, you know, it's just like people are like, do you need it? And you're like, well, the hat's cool. <laughs> Snap out a fucking killer hat. And they're like, get rid of the hat, you know, <laughs> get rid of it. It's too annoying to light. And you're like, fucking light it. Come on. Can we go backwards? Yeah, I have to learn my fun? lines. You can fucking light the shot. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Do we hate our jobs, do we? <laughs> <laughs> so I had to lose a hat. But anyway, so I've seen him with the hat. And I'm going to say, though, like what it did for him in the scene was awesome. Yeah. Like okay. it didn't hide his face. It didn't, you know, like I, I think, you know, it, it was. And to be honest, I bought him more as a soldier wearing the hat than I did if he was just doing what yeah. I did, which is I, I auditioned for the same project, <laughs> just wearing a black shirt. Do you, and I'm like, I immediately left and watched my own tape back and I was like, He's fucking, he smashed me on this one. Fuck. <laughs> like I look like some clown. And I, and I wasn't, yeah, anyway. But it, things like that I can help, but then you can go way too overboard. You can. You and can. some people are, you know, I think it's, shooting it in a jungle and you're like, yeah. oh, come on, what's the production? What's yeah. the production budget on this fucking tape, man? <laughs> 
Jesus. It'll be an award category. It'll be one of the award categories at the next actors. Yeah, yeah. Who shot the best audition? Yeah, be- best self-tape. Mm. And the one be, that will win will just be against a blank wall. And you'll no be like, doubt. Brilliant. No doubt. Some incredible <laughs> performance. Yeah. And everybody will be like, oh, I had a fucking tank in mind. Seriously? <laughs> I learned to ride a horse for mine. Come on. <laughs> That's right. You know much how much you know how much that horse cost? Oh man. Well, I think it it's interesting like it depends it really depends. And I think that if it makes you feel good, do it. If it does if you're doing it because everyone else is doing it, don't do it. No, I agree. You know, I I remember one of my friends who lives in Vancouver and she was telling me that quite often the auditions there, she was telling me this story once about how she was auditioning for this kind of 1920s whatever show. Mm. And all of the girls that were there kind of it was like some sort of seductive scene where they're like in the bedroom and then, you know, she pulls out a gun or something like that and she's a detective. And so all the girls came with their, I want to like, watch this, this show. <laughs> I don't even know what show wow. it is. Um, they came in like little lace pyjamas, which is what the costume would have been, full okay. on red lipstick, full on like the curls done and the whole, stuff like yeah, that. Wow. And my friend was like, well, I kind of did that. I went in with red lipstick and stuff. And I was like, that's really intense. Whereas like one of the auditions that I always come back to when I'm thinking about what to wear to an audition is Natalie Dormer's audition for Game of Thrones. And I've she, not seen it. She literally just wore this like black, like little strappy top. And I remember like obviously in Game of Thrones they're fucking decked out Big in gowns. costumes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I always, I find that so interesting. Yeah. Obviously she's an amazing actress as well yeah. and so that helps. But I just, like, I always come back to that when I'm like, oh, do I look like the character? It's like if you are the character, it doesn't matter yeah. if your top's black or if you're wearing an army jacket, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think I think that mentality too um, is sort of like, uh, you know, I think a lot of people get, they fall into the trap of watching their takes back over and over. Yeah. Uh, or, or, you know, they'll do one and then watch it, do it, watch it, do it, watch it. Mm. And like stumbling on lines or getting certain things wrong or, or you know, trying to make this perfect mm-hmm. take. Yeah. Um, it's And it's such an easy trap to fall into. And I I do it, you know, I have done it. And I um, when I first moved over to L.A., uh, the guy that was I was that the guy's house I was staying at, Kid mm. Gurry, um, who kind of took me under his wing, he was very good at kind of helping me let go of things and being like, the the main question is, is there a character there? Like, is your pitch to play this role? Yeah. You know, like, is is it a solid pitch? Yeah. And trying to look at it all through that lens, which can you know it means, and like you say, if it helps, great. Like mm-hmm. if something you know, if you've got to be a lawyer. Maybe put on a tie. Like if the tie is going to help you, you know, with that body language or yeah. whatever, great, go for it. Yeah. Um, I, I think so. But, it, you know, whatever, like just hearkening back to it being the best pitch for the character, it's like this is what I would do. This is what the way I see the character. Yeah. And, um, and you know, and it, it's not a memory test, you know, as well. Yeah. You know, and some of the writing so fucking bad sometimes as well. So, like, you know, people think they're Shakespeare but they're younger than you and they're just like, uh, no, you know, I some say of it's really every shit. word I write down because it is magic. It is magic, like, and you're like, is it? It's not. <laughs> it's not magic. It's stupid. People don't talk like that. Yeah, I talk like that, and you're like, mm. <laughs> just say it aloud before you send it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've actually said this sentence, yeah. right? Is that why nobody sits with you at lunch? Come on, <laughs> fuck it now. But um, 
but yeah, I, I think, I think you know, I think that's cool. I want to watch that, Natalie Dormer. I want to watch that. Yeah, yeah. I just like that's. <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> a lot of her acting in it. I just remember the cost, the top that she was wearing because it's so was just an example of this, which is kind of bad that I was looking at that and not. Being hey, like, no, not know. at all, not at all. We. But, that's what you. I mean, I'm interested. You know what? You spread the good word, so. No worries, Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie's going to get more work out of this. She will. I think she will. Watch those the YouTube hits for that tape are just going to go through the roof. Definitely. Yeah. And I'm just going to have to comment, this was me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you bitch, this was me. <laughs> we might become besties. I don't know. It could happen. It could happen. It could happen. It could happen. Yeah. We'll get her on the podcast. 100%. I'm just like, I'm planning ahead now. <laughs> Before we wrap up, um, moving <laughs> forward with your career as an actor, um, what do you want for your career? Uh, I want to something that – so last year um, we we put on a show that uh, – we, we created a show with Stan that um, this Kit Gurry gentleman I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. one of my best mates, uh, you know, he wrote – and we all sort of, you know, spitballed and spoke about it and, you know, but he he put it together and mm-hmm. we actually in two years he got it from being a script to getting made. Wow. Which is such a short amount of time. But, you know, the idea people believe in him. Anyway, I, I think watching that process and seeing how he's done that and being a part of it, like, you know, being yeah. welcomed in, you know, we're not producers or anything like that on it. We're just actors in it. But. You know, because he's one of your best mates, you kind of get an inside glimpse into it. And I am I what it what it taught me is I would like more creative responsibility moving mm. forward. Yeah. Um I really enjoy I really enjoy storytelling and sometimes just saying other people's words or telling other people's yeah. stories, which is such a privilege. Um it's it's actually just taught me that I kind of wouldn't mind being responsible for one of my own. Yeah. So ideally at the end of this year, Kick and I will be producing something together. Nice. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, it, it's going to be a slow process. I'm not going to jump in there and think I'm, you know, like the Schwartz brothers or anything like that immediately. But uh, it's it's something that interests me. I wouldn't mind stepping into that. And I'd love to direct one day, but mm-hmm. uh, that's, you know, I've got to start somewhere. There. Yeah. And I haven't st- I haven't even started thinking about that yet. I just started thinking about it. Just now. Just now. Just now. <laughs> I mean, I would love to direct one day, but, you know, I, I think as well, you know, it's like, I think it's like writing, you know, as well. People, I mean, it's an art form and and I I do respect it a lot. And um, I, I, I'm just so wary of assuming I can do it because I've been around it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And no, I've I been exposed that. to it. Um, because acting took me a long time to figure out and and I think directing would do the same, just as producing, just as anything, you know, and I I think I'd more say that for myself. I want to come at it with the right mentality yeah. rather than, you know, just sort of jump in and be like, I can do anything. 
Yeah. <laughs> Do you know? Well, I guess even the fact that you're having those thoughts in the first place kind of means that you wouldn't ever like, and you know, there's actors who are like, I'm going to act and direct at the same time and I can have it all and do it all. And you're yeah. like, slow down. Yeah. You know, life is long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's important to have these thoughts and to have these conversations with yourself when you want to do another thing and be like, okay, like if I don't know anything about it or I only know from being directed or saying mm. like reading scripts and that sort of thing, how can I go about, you know, putting my two cents on something but learning along the way and not being mm. like I'm an actor so I can direct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, that's the thing that, that comes to mind as well is I'm like, you know, the director's kind of the the head of every department in a way and that's mind-boggling to mm. me. You know, I mean, my experience of directors is having conversations about character, typically my own. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the idea of taking responsibility or, or at least having answers for people or or being in a position to have those conversations, mm. I don't know, it's, it seems daunting. Not something I'm afraid of, but it's like that's monu- that's big. Yeah. Um, and then lighting and, and, you know, like storyboards and all this sort of stuff and mm-hmm. locations and there's, there's a lot more to it than just, Telling actors what to do, you (laughs) know, which has been my experience of it so far. So I'd like to maybe shadow and I think think the doorway into directing at some point would be to produce, to take that, you know, to just take a little bit more responsibility. My mindset is that producing would be the the doorway, it would be the path to take to kind of Mm. learn more about every other department. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you. Um, well, Ben, thank you for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate your time and oh, thank you. having this a conversation fun. with you. I'm glad we popped your cherry of you podcasting. Did. You did. You're very gentle too, so thank you. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could all light a cigarette now. And, you know. <laughs> so before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to plug while you're here? Sure. Um, so we have a, uh, a Stan original series, uh, called Court, mm-hmm. C-A-U-G-H-T, um, about four Australian soldiers that get, uh, they become caught? prisoners of war. <laughs> they get caught, um, and, uh, and, uh, they get caught in country and, um, and rather than plot their escape, they end up working with their captors to kind of oh. get their story out there. So... That'll be coming out uh, about the middle of the year, I guess, tentatively on okay. Stan. And uh, and then also uh, Boy Swallows Universe yes. um, on Netflix. That will be coming out. Still don't quite know when that will be coming out. but um, They better hurry be. up and edit it, they, to be honest. I mean, you know, that's right. Yeah, so that's <laughs> another one of those things that it's just like, just do that thing, oh, you know. come on, just pop some scenes together and off you go. How hard could it be? Just yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so that'll either be coming out like end of this year or, or sort of early next year. I, I don't know, but both fun. Yes, both watch this space for, I guess. Please, please, yeah. <laughs> Let me know what you think. <laughs> yeah, DM Let me know ben. what you think. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ben, thank you so much for being here and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. This has been fun. 